Welcome to Across the Margin, the podcast. I am your host, Michael Shields. Across the Margin, the podcast, as many of you know, is a proud member of the Osiris Media Group. Head over to OsirisPod.com and check out all the great podcasts they have. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. They have the goods. There's really, it's just such an excellent collection of podcasts. That's OsirisPod.com. We got a good one for you today, one that features an interview with an extremely talented actor and writer in Michael Imperioli. Of course, Michael is best known for a starring role as Christopher Molasante in the acclaimed TV series The Sopranos, which earned him a Best Supporting Actor Emmy Award. He is absolutely tremendous in that role. He also uh, wrote five episodes of the show and was co-screenwriter of the film Summer of Sam. That's the one directed by Spike Lee. He is also a fiction writer and a damn good fiction writer at that. That's uh, That will be the focus of today's episode. Uh, I get to talk to Michael about his recent contributions to an upcoming book called The Nicotine Chronicles. The Nicotine Chronicles is edited by Lee Child, who uh, he's known for the Jack Reacher uh, stories. And the collection also includes stories from some of today's most prolific writers, including Joyce Carol Oates, Jonathan Ames, and Kara Black, to name a few. Michael and I start our conversation discussing this short story that he contributed to the Nicotine Chronicles. It's entitled, Yasari. It's a tale that is rife with magical surrealism, and at the heart of the captivating tale is a heroine with a strong moral compass, dead set on doing what she has to to rid the world of some wickedness. It's excellent, and it was great to learn more about his vision there and the inspiration he drew from for the, uh, the story. Next, we speak about his debut novel. It came out in 2018. It's called The Perfume Burned His Eyes. We talked about his... Um, friendship with Lou Reed, uh, who's a character in this book, which is really great. Uh, Lou Reed from Velvet Underground, renowned rocker. Um, We discussed 1970s Manhattan, which was the setting for this book. And um, it's it's a really, it's a wonderful, wonderful coming of age story. And we do find out in this interview that Michael is um, gearing up to uh, bring this story to life uh, on the big screen. So I think that is super, super exciting. It's a great book. I could not recommend it more. Um, and it was tons of fun to explore um, Michael's fiction writing, which is which is the focus of this episode. And I really believe it's something that he might be celebrated for um, in the manner his acting achievements are hailed for at this point. He's that good. So I hope you enjoy this here is my interview with Michael Imperioli. fan of your work and now across uh multiple art forms so thank you very much for uh joining um i uh i'd like to dig into the the nicotine chronicles it's quite a impressive collection of authors and stories how'd you get involved in that 
Uh, the publisher, uh, Akashic Books, they published my novel two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so they approached me about contributing. Johnny Temple is the founder of Akashic Books, and he also was the editor on my book, my novel. And he, he uh, wrote me one day and said, very um, randomly, did do you smoke or did you ever smoke? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, I'll get back to you. I, I said, <laughs> yes, I used to smoke. And then he got back to me and said, well, we're doing this project. Um, and I, I try to say yes to everything Johnny said. I like that. I like a, a yes man situation. Um, I'm curious, did they give you any kind of parameters when you were going into it? Because I, I noticed, you know, some of the stories, um, you know, kind of focus on addiction. Uh, others, it's kind of just more of a prop in the story. Was it uh, the only thing thrown at you was, you know, involve um, nicotine or cigars or cigarettes in some fashion? Was that kind of the, the framework? Yeah, the parameters were, it, you know, it had to involve uh, tobacco, but they didn't want something moralistic like the evils of smoking or like, you know, the diseases you get, you know, like it wasn't uh, like a cautionary tale about, you know, judging smoking or something like that. It won't, they, they just wanted to use it more as what it could inspire, you know, what kind, what kind of stories it could inspire, you know what I mean? Yeah, I like that. It was very general because then you get a whole um, a wide array of uh of angles um, and stories there. So, uh, sorry, it's uh, it's wonderful. I'm curious the inspiration for the story. You know, when I started thinking, okay, you know, I, I, I used to smoke when I was in my 30s, my late 20s and 30s. And, um, and I was thinking about me smoking, but I couldn't really find anything interesting about that. And there was nothing kind of drawing me in. So I guess I just started saying, okay, take it. You know, what is tobacco and then the kind of origins of smoking? And I, I, uh, I love kind of magical realism. And, um, I would say, uh, it's definitely influenced by the stories of Muhammad Rabat, mm-hmm. uh, who's a Moroccan writer that was translated by Paul Bowles that I fell in love with many years ago. His, his writing, uh, and, Somewhat of Carlos Castaneda, which is not, which I take as non-fiction, um, but there's elements of that as well. And uh, and my time in Puerto Rico, I, I lived in Puerto Rico for almost a year, 2015, and then for a couple of months in 2017. On uh, certain things about what were going on there, um, kind of inspired me. Actually, yeah, I guess uh, would you be speaking towards kind of the uh, outsiders moving in and, and taking advantage of uh, real estate situations and, and workers in the in the land? Yeah, not so much that as okay. much as what I found kind of weird was a lot of really rich Americans yeah. uh, were establishing residency there. So if you, if you establish, you live there six months plus one day one out of the year, that means your primary residence is Puerto Rico, and you don't have to pay United States federal income tax. Uh, so if you're making, you know, $50 million in a year, mm-hmm. you're saving a huge chunk of money, and you're not paying, because Puerto Rico is not a state, so they don't pay federal tax or state tax. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine what shelter is, but, um, you know, so they're avoiding paying taxes in the U.S., so the U.S. 
you know, doesn't benefit from their income. And they don't really contribute that much to the welfare and well-being of Puerto Rico. Yep. You know what I mean? Besides buying their fancy condos and maybe hiring a few servants and stuff like that. Um, you know, which I found, you know, a modern version of colonialism in Absolutely. a way. And, and, and that kind of inspired it. It wasn't, it wasn't so much, um, you know, uh, I was, I, I'm not so up on the building situation and taking advantage of that, although, although it probably goes on, but it was more that kind of health tax shelter thing that, that inspired me to write this story. Yeah, that makes sense. That's wild, taking advantage um, on both ends in that situation. Um, on both ends, yeah. yeah. And especially after Maria, mm-hmm. because I went, I, I worked there before and after Hurricane Maria, and just seeing the terrible, you know, devastation that these people, you know, had to endure and, and, and uh, you know, it just made it even more devastating. Yeah. You know, yeah, more, more, more poignant. Yeah, absolutely. You think that 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 level of wealth, um, you know, it's a shame that there's no benevolence there. Um, you mentioned that you smoked before, um, but there is, and you can just kind of uh, uh, feel it in some of the the writing. There, there's a romanticization of of the rolling um, of of the the cigars in this. There's even um, uh, it, there's a line, he rubbed it like he was um, washing his child or caressing his lover. There's even, uh, you know, there's, um, you know, t- although th- there's that point where um, she's talking about the smell and where the smell takes her. Um, you know, she starts thinking of an array of things from storms to fires to funerals and uh, birthday cakes. It's really, it's really beautiful stuff. And there is, like I said, that ro- romanticization um, do you share that? Is I mean, when you were uh, a smoker, was it something that was um, close to your heart? Well, I never got into cigars. I, okay. I just never could. could um, I never could. I don't know. I, I was I was addicted to cigarettes. Yeah, and too. I think there's a big difference between mass-produced, pulverized nicotine that's you know processed and you know um, made into cigarettes than there is like you know, tobacco uh, that's grown for high-end cigars or, you know, I guess it's, you know, kind of comparing uh, like winemaking to, the, you know, the sense of tobacco and like, the, you know, the care that grows into it, you know, whereas with cigarettes, it's more like, you know, you're taking a grape and turning it into like, you know, Thunderbird or Ripple as opposed <laughs> to... Uh, as opposed Mad, to Chateau Margot or something, uh, you know what I mean? Mad Dog 40-40. Yeah, there's even a line where there's a, a disdain for a, a Marlboro cigarette in, in, in your story. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. But then but then the, all those images that she's getting and those memories, that's coming from a certain psychic ability that she has that has yeah. nothing to do. That's a, no, a normal person oh, or a regular. Yes. She's tapping yeah. into that. Re- okay. Yeah. She's yeah. part of a lineage mm-hmm. that has you know, psychic, you know, extrasensory powers that that they can access through the leaf. So normal person is going to smell that and not be actual impressions and memories like that. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm trying yeah, to convey. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned her, and uh, you we find out just about four pages into. Um, uh, your short story that it is where the narrator is um, uh, a female 
And I was curious, um, you know, about the challenge or the thought process into, um, you know, writing from a, a female point of view was that that had to be um, interesting in a, a lot of different ways. Yeah, you know, I didn't intentionally uh, conceal her identity. It just kind of happened naturally. And then when I, when I was done and I looked at it, I kind of liked it because I guess, you know, if you're, you're reading a male author, you're expecting it to be a male point of view. Exactly. But, um, you know, it's, it was just a matter of trying to really understand who this character is. Um, and, you know, be, be true, to her, true to her and, 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 and honest. Um, you know, I mean, that's it. I mean, it's, yep. you know, it's not based on a real person. It's somebody I'm mixing up and, 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 um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really find it, um, I don't really ter- find it terribly different writing from a, from a woman's point of view and from a man's, to be honest with you, although yep. I mean, probably some people will be outraged by hearing <laughs> me say that, but to be honest, that's, yeah um i'm curious what you would uh kind of feel there's a lot of you know there's some interesting twist in there there's a nice dark turn it's got a wild um ending um but i'm wondering if you if there's any takeaway or anything you um you you hope for the reader to kind of walk away with i know i walked away with you know certain thoughts and and and, um kind of ideas of what you know, not a moral, but, you know, I was wondering, you know, kind of what you hope the reader will walk away with after, after reading Yasseri. I think in the end, Yasseri actually acted out of a place of nobility yeah. and compassion. And, you know, because you know, she, she actually, she just had her gift, something she believed in for the sake of her mother. So her mother could, you know, get the treatment that she needed for her illness. So it was in the end, you know, the guy he was, the guy he was hired by was doomed to begin with anyway because he committed such bad, you know, such horrendous acts and created so much bad karma that, um, I don't think it painted her. I think she just made a decision that she was going to do what, what was necessary for her mother and she felt she let herself down, but I think as, as a viewer, as a reader, we could have, compassion for her and understand that, you know, she really did something out of a place of, of sacrifice and, uh, of, you know, selflessness. Yeah, absolutely. I was, it was interesting to see her, uh, inner, tur- inner turmoil about, uh, lying initially too. There's a whole good versus true evil through lying. There's a lot going on. It's really, it's really great. Um, I do have a qu- couple questions. I hope, uh, I can ask about the, uh, your first novel. I really like it. The, uh, perfume burned his eyes but i would like to take a quick step back when did um when did you start writing uh i started writing around the same time i started acting okay and um, for many many years i wrote a lot of stuff that didn't go anywhere and didn't a lot of unfinished stories and screenplays and um but, you know, and um, it wasn't until I was 30 that I actually finished something and um, really figured out um, what I wanted to do as a writer, in a way, or what I had to say as a writer. Um, so uh, I've written mostly, some of which have been produced, many that were not produced. Um, I've written some pilot scripts 
that were not made in, in about five episodes of Sopranos. Um, and now some fiction. So, yeah. You know, that's, uh, but, but it took me a long time to, it took me a long, you know, I mean, at least 10 years to really finish something. Yep. And, and, and it was more about knowing I was more, I think I was more in love with the idea of being a writer in my 20s than I was, than I really had anything to say. Yeah. But, you know, so it took me a while to figure that out, what kind of things I would, you know, you know, if you want, if you want to be a writer, you have to say something. You know, it's not enough just to be interesting or clever. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's more challenging than I believe a lot of people who start, uh, they realize real fast the, the, the uh, work that needs to go in. Um, the perfume burned his eyes. That um, I'm, I'm curious. A really great work. That's excellent uh, debut novel. Um, Thank you. How um, how close is, of the character of Matthew is it to you? Is there, is there anything there autobiograph uh, autobiographical? Um, <clears throat> the events in the story are all fictional. I mean, okay. there's definitely parallels that I had because I grew up right outside of the city and I moved to Manhattan when I was you know, in a teenager, I didn't move there with my family and I didn't go to high school there or anything like that. But just the idea of, um, growing up very close to Manhattan, but, you know, uh, but not in Manhattan. And then when you're getting there as a teenager, it's just, uh, it's just the newness of that world and, and how rich it was and how dangerous and strange and, uh, inspiring, Intoxicating. Uh, so I experienced that as well. But the, the, the actual events are all fiction. Uh, Lou Reed and Rachel did, in fact, live on the uh, Upper East Side in, the, in, in those year, years. Um, but everything else is just fiction. Yeah. Um, you know, Lou was a character in the book. And, um, you know... I can only assume you were a big Lou Reed fan, and, and I love the Velvet Underground as well. I do as well. But um, I believe I saw somewhere that you were friends, and, and how did that happen? And I mean, more importantly, what was that like? Well, we we became uh, he he did a concert in in New York, in Manhattan in, around two thousand, and uh, I got. I had my manager get me tickets uh, through his publicist. And after the concert, his publicist said that Lou wanted to meet me backstage. And I didn't even, I didn't know that he knew I was there or knew who I was or anything. And, and he turned out he was a fan of the Sopranos and of my work. And, and, um, and it, that was about 2000. He died in 2013. Yep. And we did, we had a lot of, um, uh, charities that we supported in common, like the Jazz Foundation and Tibet House and, uh, um, the Tibet Fund, you know, because he was into Tibetan Buddhism as I am. Um, and he was really into the Jazz Foundation, which puts Jazz and Blues artists. And I've been on the board of that awesome. organization for a really long time. So we had that in common and we did a lot of those events together. And, um, just kept in touch, you know, he was, before he died, he was doing a book on meditation and he asked me for, um, you know, my impressions about, I don't know if he ever published it or if it's or or still might be working on it, but uh-huh. he asked me for some, some of my impressions and thoughts about meditation and stuff like that. But it was a big deal for me because he was a hero of mine for many, many, 
Yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet. How was it um, kind of in, incorporating Lou into this fiction? Was there a challenge there? Or it's, what was that about? Well, I never would have written it uh, if he was alive. Yeah. That's for sure. I was going to ask um, that. But what happened was I started writing uh, in the summer of 2013. Mm-hmm. My son was 16, and he was going to... 16 year old boy problems and I was just trying to I was really trying to relate to that again that that same mind because I felt so far away from it so I started just writing this coming of age story about this kid who moved from Queens to Manhattan in the 70s and and, um, and three months into the writing Lou died in October of 2015 he died and it hit me um as a fan, as a New Yorker, as an artist, and as a friend, you know. So during the t- the morning of his death, really, um, suddenly I was inspired to have him, you know, be this father figure to this kid who loses his two male role models in a short amount of time, and all of a sudden this unwitting um, <laughs> role model kind of stumbles into his life and. It just kind of took off from there, really. That's great. It almost acts as an uh, an ode to Lou in that way. That's that's you know. That's in the end, it just did, you know, and I and I and I did feel happy about that. Yeah. And I do, um, it definitely comes from a place of love and respect towards yep. him and his work. Yeah, you can feel that. Um, you know, we spoke about your short story where you're writing from a perspective of uh, a female perspective. In this one, you're writing from the perspective of a 15 year old um, boy. I was wondering, um, kind of, it's not, I don't want to ask about the challenges of writing from that way, but the opportunities. It must have uh, been fun to kind of explore that coming of age time, especially in that fascinating time. How, how did you like uh, writing from that point of view? Well, I started writing the story in a third person. Okay. And I couldn't get anywhere with it. I, it was just too broad a scope, too wide a scope, and I couldn't find proper way in, the proper focus. It was, I, I, I didn't know where to put my attention. Uh-huh. And then I was like, well, what if it's like his journals kind of after the fact? So I started writing in his voice as if he was writing it down this kid. And then it took off from there. Then I found that that engine made sense to me. Um, uh, I gave him a short story as well. There was, there's something about... Um, you know, I mean, not uh, fiction writing is not something I've done uh, a ton of. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's something about having parameters that help me. You know, uh, ha- you know, having this God's eye view in the third person uh, is it, um, a challenge that I haven't really uh, taken on yet. It almost seems a little too daunting. So having this more, maybe it's part of my, you know, because I spent a lot of my life as an actor mm-hmm. and you're, you're, you're looking at the story and the world through a very specific personal point of view as an actor. So maybe, maybe that, that, uh, translates my writing, you know, in a way it's my way in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you mentioned you haven't done, uh, not a ton of fiction writing, but it's, uh, there you got a knack for it. It's really great stuff. Do you have, um, have you been working on anything else? Is there, is, um, anything forthcoming? 
Well, I I am developing the person burns his eyes into a movie, in, which I hope to see next summer if all goes well. Oh wow, that's, um, that's fantastic! That's great news. Yeah, that wasn't my plan when I wrote it. I actually had no zero vision of that and zero intention of that. Um, but it's kind of lost that. Is it, uh, is it in production or I guess everything's a little funky. But I'm actually, it's in, I'm working with a, a writer, a friend of mine, a, a woman, Francine Volpe, who's a great playwright, screenwriter, and we're collaborating on the script and I've been meeting with several film companies great. and I'm waiting for someone to commit to making it, you know, taking it on. So I'm, I, that's where we're at now. We've been doing some bunch of pitches to companies um, the last month or so last month um, and I have a couple of other uh, two TV uh, series um, that I'm working on uh, and one a, a new um, novel that I, I haven't really started I just have some notes and, and uh, sketches for so good that's all in the hopper that's yeah nice. Sounds like a, a, a lot on your plate and a lot of fun stuff coming. A lot on the plate, yeah. That's, that's, that's how it always is. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, well, that's great. It's, it sounds like we have a lot to look forward to. I mean, I'm always, I've always been uh, keeping my eye on what you do acting-wise, but now, um, after digging into your work and the novel and the short story, I'm going to keep my eye out uh, for any of your writing moving forward. I love the idea that Perfume uh, Burned His Eyes is going to be, uh, could be a, a, a movie at one point, so I'll be keeping an eye out for that as well. But, I hope so. Uh, Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. I, I, I really, it was great exploring your work and, uh, and talking about it here today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.